Chapter Twelve of the Seats of the Mighty by Gilbert Parker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I was roused by the opening of the door. Doltaire entered. He advanced towards me with the manner of an admired comrade, and, with no trace of what would mark him as my foe, said, as he sniffed the air, Monsieur, I have been selfish. I asked myself to breakfast with you, yet, while I love the new experience, I will deny myself in this. You shall breakfast with me as you pass to your new lodgings. You must not say no, he added, as though we were in some salon. I have a sleigh here at the door, and a fellow has already gone to fan my kitchen fires and forage for the table come he went on let me help you with your cloak he threw my cloak around me and turned towards the door i had not spoken a word for what with weakness the announcement that i was to have new lodgings and the sudden change in my affairs i was like a child walking in its sleep i could do no more than bow to him and force a smile which must have told him more than aught else of my state for he stepped to my side and offered me his arm I drew back from that with thanks, for I felt a quick hatred of myself that I should take favours of the man who had moved for my destruction, and to steal from me my promised wife. Yet it was my duty to live as I could, to escape if that were possible, to use every means to foil my enemies. It was all a game. Why should I not accept advances at my enemy's hands, and match dissimulation with dissimulation? When I refused his arm, he smiled comically, and raised his shoulders in deprecation. "'You forget your dignity, monsieur,' I said presently as we walked on, Gabo meeting us and lighting us through the passages. "'You voted me a villain, a spy, at my trial.' "'Technically and publicly, you are a spy, a vulgar criminal,' he replied. "'Privately, you are a foolish, blundering gentleman. A soldier, also, you will admit, who keeps his compact with his enemy. Otherwise we should not breakfast together this morning, he answered. What difference would it make to this government if our private matter had been dragged in? Technically you still would have been the spy. But I will say this, monsieur. To me you are a man better worth torture than death. "'Do you ever stop to think how this may end for you?' I asked quietly. He seemed pleased with the question. "'I have thought it might be interesting,' he answered. "'Else, as I said, you should long ago have left this naughty world. Is it in your mind that we shall cross swords one day?' "'I feel it in my bones,' said I, "'that I shall kill you.' At that moment we stood at the entrance to the citadel, where a good pair of horses and a sleigh awaited us. We got in, the robes were piled around us, and the horses started off at a long trot. I was muffled to the ears, but I could see how white and beautiful was the world, how the frost glistened in the trees, how the balsams were weighted down with snow, and how snug the chateaus looked with the smoke curling up from their hunched chimneys. Presently Doltaire replied to my last remark. 
conviction is the executioner of the stupid said he when a man is not great enough to let change and chance guide him he gets convictions and dies a fool conviction has made men and nations strong i rejoined has made men and nations asses he retorted the mohammedan has conviction so has the christian they die fighting each other and the philosopher sits by and laughs expediency monsieur expediency is the real wisdom the true master of this world expediency saved your life to-day conviction would have sent you to a starry home as he spoke a thought came in on me here we were in the open world travelling together without a god of any kind was it not possible to make a dash for freedom the idea was put away from me and yet it was a fresh accent of doltaire's character that he tempted me in this way as if he divined what i thought he said to me for i made no attempt to answer his question men of sense never confuse issues or choose the wrong time for their purposes foes may have unwritten truces there was the matter in a nutshell he had done nothing carelessly he was touching off our conflict with flashes of genius he was the man who had roused in me last night the fiercest passions of my life and yet this morning he had saved me from death and though he was still my sworn enemy i was about to breakfast with him already the streets of the town were filling for it was the day before christmas and it would be the great market day of the year few noticed us as we sped along down palace street and i could not conceive whether we were going until passing the hotel dieu i saw in front the intendants i remembered the last time i was there and what had happened then and a thought flashed through me that perhaps this was another trap but i put it from me and soon afterwards doltaire said i have now a slice of the intendants for my own and we shall breakfast like squirrels in a loft as we drove into the open space before the palace a company of soldiers standing before the great door began marching up to the road by which we came with them was a prisoner i saw at once that he was a british officer but i did not recognize his face i asked his name of doltaire and found it was one lieutenant stevens of rogers rangers those brave new englanders after an interview with bigu he was being taken to the common jail to my request that i might speak with him doltaire assented and at a sign from my companion the soldiers stopped stephen's eyes were fixed on me with a puzzled disturbed expression he was well built of intrepid bearing with a fine openness of manner joined to handsome features but there was a recklessness in his eye which seemed to me to come nearer to the swashbuckling character of a young french seigneur than the wariness of a british soldier i spoke his name and introduced myself his surprise and pleasure were pronounced for he had thought as he said that by this time i would be dead there was an instant's flash of his eye as if a suspicion of my loyalty had crossed his mind but it was gone on the instant and immediately doltaire who also had interpreted the look smiled and said he had carried me off to breakfast while the furniture of my former prison was being shifted to my new one after a word or two more with stephen's assurance that the british had recovered from braddock's defeat 
and would soon be knocking at the portals of chateau st louis we parted and soon doltaire and i got out at the high stone steps of the palace standing there a moment i looked round in this space surrounding the intendants was gathered the history of new france this palace large enough for the king of a european country with a population of a million was the official residence of the commercial ruler of a province it was the house of the miller and across the way was the king's storehouse le Farpon, where poor folk were ground between the stones the great square was already filling with people who had come to trade here were barrels of malt being unloaded there great sacks of grain bags of dried fruits bales of home-made cloth and loads of fine-sawn boards and timber moving about among the peasants were the regular soldiers in their white uniforms faced with blue red yellow or violet with black three-cornered hats and black gaiters from foot to knee and the militia in coats of white with black facings behind a great collar of dogskin a pair of jet-black eyes flashed out from under a pretty forehead and presently one saw these same eyes grown sorrowful or dull under heavy knotted brows which told of a life too vexed by care and labour to keep alive a spark of youth's romance now the bell in the tower above us rang a short peal the signal for the opening of la Farpon, and the bustling crowd moved towards its doors as i stood there on the great steps i chanced to look along the plain bare front of the palace to an annex at the end and standing in a doorway opening on a pair of steps was vubo i was amazed that he should be there the man whose life had been spoiled by bigu at the same moment doltaire motioned to him to return inside which he did doltaire laughed at my surprise and as he showed me inside the palace said there is no barber in the world like vauban interesting interesting i love to watch his eye when he draws the razor down my throat it would be so easy to fetch it across but vauban as you see is not a man of absolute conviction it will be sport some day to put bigot's valet to bed with a broken leg or a fit of spleen and sent vauban to shave him where is matilda i asked as though i knew not of her whereabouts matilda is where none may touch her monsieur under the protection of the daintiest lady of new france it is her whim and when a lady is charming an intendant even must not trouble her caprice he did not need to speak more plainly it was he who had prevented bigu from taking matilda away from alix and locking her up or worse i said nothing however and soon we were in a large room sumptuously furnished looking out on the great square the morning sun stared in some snowbirds twittered on the window-sill and inside a canary in an alcove hung with plants and flowers sang as if it were the heart of summer all was warm and comfortable and it was like a dream that i had just come from the dismal chance of a miserable death my cloak and cap and leggings had been taken from me when i entered as courteously as though i had been king louis himself and a great chair was drawn solicitously to the fire all this was done by the servant after one quick look from doltaire the man seemed to understand his master perfectly 
to read one look as though it were a volume the constant service of the antique world such was doltaire's influence the closer you came to him the more compelling was he a devilish attraction notably selfish yet capable of benevolence two years before this time i saw him lift a load from the back of a peasant woman and carry it home for her putting into her hand a gold piece on leaving at another time an old man had died of a foul disease in a miserable upper room of a warehouse doltaire was passing at the moment when the body should be carried to burial the stricken widow of the dead man stood below waiting but no one would fetch the body down doltaire stopped and questioned her kindly and in another minute he was driving the carter and another upstairs at the point of his sword together they brought the body down and doltaire followed it to the burying-ground keeping the gravedigger at his task when he would have run away and saying the responses to the priest in the short service read above the grave i said to him then you rail at the world and scoff at men in many decencies and yet you do these things to this he replied he was in my own lodgings at the time the brain may call all men liars and fools but the senses feel the shock of misery which we do not ourselves inflict inflicting we are prone to cruelty as you have seen a schoolmaster begin punishment with tears grow angry at the shrinking back under his cane and give way to a sudden lust of torture i have little pity for those who can help themselves let them fight or eat the leek but the child and the helpless and the sick it is a pleasure to aid i love the poor as much as i love anything i could live their life if i were put to it as a gentleman i hate squalor and the puddles of wretchedness but i could have worked at the plough or the anvil i could have dug in the earth till my knuckles grew big and my shoulders hardened to a roundness have eaten my beans and pork and pea-soup and have been a healthy ox munching the bread of industry and trailing the puissant pike a diligent serf i have no ethics and yet i am on the side of the just when they do not put thorns in my bed to keep me awake at night upon the walls hung suits of armour swords of beautiful make spears belts of wonderful workmanship a tattered banner sashes knit by ladies fingers pouches bandoliers and many strong sketches of scenes that i knew well now and then a woman's head in oils or pencil peeped out from the abundant ornaments i recalled then another thing he said at that time of which i write i have never juggled with my conscience never made believe with it my will was always stronger than my wish for anything always stronger than temptation i have chosen this way or that deliberately i am ever ready to face consequences and never to cry out it is the ass who does not deserve either reward or punishment who says that something carried him away and being weak he fell that is a poor man who is no stronger than his passions i can understand the devil fighting god and taking the long punishment without repentance like a powerful prince as he was i could understand a peasant killing king louis in the palace and being ready if he had a hundred lives to give them all having done the deed he set out to do if a man must have convictions of that sort he can escape everlasting laughter 
the final hell only by facing the rebound of his wild deeds these were strange sentiments in the mouth of a man who was ever the mannered courtier and as i sat there alone while he was gone elsewhere for some minutes many such things he had said came back to me suggested no doubt by this new inexplicable attitude towards myself i could trace some of his sentiments perhaps vaguely to the fact that as i had come to know through the signor duvarney his mother was of peasant blood the beautiful daughter of a farmer of portiers who had died soon after giving birth to doltaire his peculiar nature had shown itself in his refusal to accept a title it was his whim to be the plain monsieur behind which was perhaps some native arrogancy which made him prefer that to being a noble whose origin well known must ever interfere with his ambitions then too maybe the peasant in him never in his face or form which were patrician altogether spoke for more truth and manliness than he was capable of and so he chose to be the cynical irresponsible courtier while many of his instincts had urged him to the peasant's integrity he had undisturbed however one instinct of the peasant a directness which was evident chiefly in the clearness of his thoughts as these things hurried through my mind my body sunk in a kind of restfulness before the great fire doltaire came back i will not keep you from breakfast said he vauban must wait if you will pass by untidiness a thought flashed through my mind maybe vubo had some word for me from alix so i said instantly i am not hungry perhaps you will let me wait yonder while vubo tends you as you said it should be interesting you will not mind the disorder of my dressing-room well then this way and we can talk while vauban plays with temptation so saying he courteously led the way into another chamber where vubo stood waiting i spoke to him and he bowed but did not speak and then doltaire said you see vauban your labour on monsieur was wasted so far as concerns the world to come you trimmed him for the glorious company of the apostles and see he breakfasts with monsieur doltaire in the intendance too my vauban which as you know is wicked a very nest of wasps i never saw more hate than shot out of vubo's eyes at that moment but the lids drooped over them at once and he made ready for his work as doltaire putting aside his coat seated himself laughing there was no little daring as there was cruelty in thus torturing a man whose life had been broken by doltaire's associate i wondered now and then if doltaire were not really putting acid on the barber's bare nerves for some other purpose than mere general cruelty even as he would have understood the peasant's murder of king louis so he would have seen a logical end to a terrible game in bigu's death at the hand of vubo possibly he wondered that vubo did not strike and he himself took a delight in showing him his own wrongs occasionally then again doltaire might wish for bigu's death to succeed him in his place but this i put as improbable for the intendant's post was not his ambition or favorite of le pompadour as he was he would desiring have long ago achieved that end moreover every evidence showed that he would gladly return to france 
for his clear brain foresaw the final ruin of the colony and the triumph of the british he had once said in my hearing those swaggering englishmen will keep coming on they are too stupid to turn back the eternal sameness of it all will so distress us we shall awake one morning find them at our bedsides give a kick and die from sheer ennui they'll use our banners to boil their fat puddings in they'll roast oxen in the highways and after our girls have married them they'll turn them into kitchen wenches with frowsy skirts and ankles like beeves but indeed beneath his dangerous irony there was a strain of impishness and he would if need be laugh at his own troubles and torture himself as he had tortured others this morning he was full of a carbolic humour as the razor came to his neck he said vauban a barber must have patience it is a sad thing to mistake friend for enemy what is a friend is it one who says sweet words there was a pause in which the shaving went on and then he continued is it he who says i have eaten vauban's bread and vauban shall therefore go to prison or be hurried to valhalla or is it he who stays the iron hand who puts nettles in vauban's cold cold bed that he may rise early and go forth among the heroes i do not think vubo understood that through some freak of purpose doltaire was telling him thus obliquely he had saved him from bigot's cruelty from prison or death once or twice he glanced at me but not meaningly for doltaire was seated opposite a mirror and could see each motion made by either of us presently doltaire said to me idly i dine to-day at the seigneur duvarney's you will be glad to hear that mademoiselle bids fair to rival the charming madame cournal her followers are as many so they say and all in one short year she has suddenly thrown out a thousand new faculties and charms doubtless you remember she was gifted but who would have thought she could have blossomed so she was all light and softness and air she is now all fire and skill as well matchless matchless every day sees her with some new capacity some fresh and delicate aplomb she has set the town admiring and jealous mother's prophecy triste endings for her her swift mastery of the social arts is weird they say la la the social arts a good brain a gift of penetration a manner which is a grand necessity and it must be with birth no heart to speak of and the rest is easy no heart there is the thing with a good brain and senses all warm with life to feel but never to have the arrow strike home you must never think to love and be loved and be wise too the emotions blind the judgment be heartless be perfect with heavenly artifice and if you are a woman have no vitriol on your tongue and you may rule at versailles or quebec but with this difference in quebec you may be virtuous at versailles you must not it is a pity that you may not meet mademoiselle duvarney she would astound you she was a simple ballad a year ago to-morrow she may be an epic he nodded at me reflectively and went on mademoiselle 
said the chevalier de la durante to her at dinner some weeks ago if i were young i should adore you monsieur she answered you use that if to shirk the responsibility that put him on his mettle then by the gods i adore you now he answered if i were young i should blush to hear you say so was her reply i empty out my heart and away trips the disdainful nymph with a laugh he rejoined gaily the rusty old courtier there's nothing left but to fall upon my sword disdainful nymphs are the better scabbards for distinguished swords she said with charming courtesy then laughing softly there is an egyptian proverb which runs thus if thou dol son of hoshti hast emptied out thy heart and it bring no fruit in exchange curse not thy gods and die but build a pyramid in the vineyard where thy love was spent and write upon it pride hath no conqueror it is a mind for a palace is it not i could see in the mirror facing him the provoking devilry of his eyes i knew that he was trying how much he could stir me he guessed my love for her but i could see he was sure that she no longer if she ever had thought of me besides with a lover's understanding i saw also that he liked to talk of her his eyes in the mirror did not meet mine but were fixed as on some distant and pleasing prospect though there was as always a slight disdain at his mouth but the eyes were clear resolute and strong never wavering and i never saw them waver yet in them something distant and inscrutable it was a candid eye and he was candid in his evil he made no pretence and though the means to his ends were wicked they were never low presently glancing round the room i saw an easel on which was a canvas he caught my glance silly work for a soldier and a gentleman he said but silliness is a great privilege it needs as much skill to carry folly as to be an ambassador now you are often much too serious captain moray at that he rose and after putting on his coat came over to the easel and threw up the cloth exposing a portrait of a leeks it had been painted in by a few bold strokes full of force and life yet giving her face more of that look which comes to women bitterly wise in the ways of this world than i cared to see the treatment was daring and it cut me like a knife that the whole painting had a red glow the dress was red the light falling on the hair was red the shine of the eyes was red also it was fascinating but weird and to me distressful there flashed through my mind the resemblance of matilda in her scarlet robe as she stood on the heights that momentous night of my arrest i looked at the picture in silence he kept gazing at it with a curious half quizzical smile as if he were unconscious of my presence at last he said with a slight knitting of his brows it is strange strange i sketched that in two nights ago by the light of the fire after i had come from the chateau st louis from memory as you see it never struck me where the effect was taken from that singular glow over all the face and figure but now i see it 
it returns it is the impression of colour in the senses left from the night that ladybug matilda flashed out on the heights a fine a fine effect hmm for another such one might give another such matilda at that moment we were both startled by a sound behind us and wheeling we saw vubo a mad look in his face in the act of throwing at doltaire a short spear which he had caught up from a corner the spear flew from his hand even as doltaire sprang aside drawing his sword with great swiftness i thought he must have been killed but the rapidity of his action saved him for the spear passed his shoulder so close that it tore away a shred of his coat and stuck in the wall behind him in another instant doltaire had his sword point at vubo's throat the man did not cringe did not speak a word but his hands clinched and the muscles of his face worked painfully there was at first a fury in doltaire's face and a metallic hardness in his eyes and i was sure he meant to pass his sword through the other's body but after standing for a moment death hanging on his sword point he quietly lowered his weapon and sitting on a chair arm looked curiously at vubo as one might sit and watch a mad animal within a cage vubo did not stir but stood rooted to the spot his eyes however never moving from doltaire it was clear that he had looked for death and now expected punishment and prison doltaire took out his handkerchief and wiped a sweat from his cheeks he turned to me soon and said in a singularly impersonal way as though he were speaking of some animal he had great provocation the duchesse de valois had a young panther once which she had brought up from the milk she was inquisitive and used to try its temper it was good sport but one day she took away its food gave it to the cat and pointed her finger at monsieur the panther the duchesse de valois never bared her breast thereafter to an admiring world a panther's claws leave scars he paused and presently continued you remember it Faubin. you were the duke's valet then you see i recall you well the panther lost his head both figuratively and in fact the panther did not mean to kill maybe but to kill the lady's beauty was death to her vauban yonder spear was poisoned he wiped his face and said to me i think you saw that at the dangerous moment i had no fear yet now when the game is in my own hands my cheek runs with cold sweat how easy to be charged with cowardice like evaporation the hot breath of peril passing suddenly into the cold air of safety leaves this he wiped his cheek again he rose moved slowly to vubo and pricking him with his sword said you are a bungler barber now listen i never wronged you i have only been your blister i prick your sores at home tut tut they prick them openly in the market-place i gave you life a minute ago i give you freedom now some day i may ask that life for a day's use and then vauban then will you give it there was a moment's pause and the barber answered monsieur i owe you nothing i would have killed you then you may kill me if you will doltaire nodded musingly something was passing through his mind 
I judged he was thinking that here was a man who as a servant would be invaluable. Well, well, we can discuss the thing at leisure, Vauban, he said at last. Meanwhile, you may wait here till Captain Moray has breakfasted, and then you shall be at his service, and I would have a word with you also. Turning with a polite gesture to me, he led the way into the breakfast room, and at once, half famished, I was seated at the table, drinking a glass of good wine, and busy with a broiled whitefish of delicate quality. We were silent for a time, and the bird in the alcove kept singing as though it were in Eden, while chiming in between the rhythms there came the silvery sound of sleigh-bells from the world without. I was in a sort of dream, and I felt there must be a rude awakening soon. After a while, Doltaire, who seemed thinking keenly, ordered the servant to take a glass of wine to Vubo. He looked up at me after a little, as if he had come back from a long distance, and said, It is my fate to have as foes the men I would have as friends, and as friends the men I would have as foes. The cause of my friends is often bad. The cause of my enemies is sometimes good. It is droll. I love directness, yet I have ever been the slave of complication. I delight in following my reason, yet I have been of the motes that stumble in the sunlight. I have enough cruelty in me, enough selfishness and will, to be a ruler, and yet I have never held an office in my life. I love true diplomacy, yet I have been comrade to the official liar, and am the captain of intrigue. La, la. You have never had an enthusiasm, a purpose, said I. He laughed a dry, ironical laugh. I have both an enthusiasm and a purpose, he answered or you would by now be snug in bed forever. I knew what he meant, though he could not guess I understood. He was referring to Alixe and the challenge she had given him. I did not feel that I had anything to get by playing a part of friendliness, and besides, he was a man to whom the boldest speaking was always palatable, even when most against himself. I am sure neither would bear daylight, said I, why i almost blush to say that they are both honest would at this moment endure a moral microscope the experience i confess is new and has the glamour of originality it will not stay honest i retorted honesty is a new toy with you you will break it on the first rock that shows i wonder he answered i wonder and yet i suppose you are right some devilish incident will twist things out of gear, and then the old Adam must improvise for safety and success. Yes, I suppose my one beautiful virtue will get a twist. What he had said showed me his mind as in a mirror. He had no idea that I had the key to his enigmas. I felt as had Vubo in the other room. I could see that he had set his mind on a leak's and that she had roused in him what was perhaps the first honest passion of his life. What further talk we might have had I cannot tell, but while we were smoking and drinking coffee the door opened suddenly, and the servant said, His Excellency the Marquis de Vaudreuil. Doltaire got to his feet, a look of annoyance crossing his face, but he courteously met the governor and placed a chair for him. The governor, however, said frostily, Monsieur Doltaire, 
It must seem difficult for Captain Murray to know who is governor in Canada, since he has so many masters. I am not sure who needs assurance most upon the point, you or he. This is the second time he has been feasted at the intendant's, when he should have been in prison. I came too late that other time. Now it seems I am opportune. Doltaire's reply was smooth. Your Excellency will pardon the liberty. The intendant's was a sort of halfway house between the citadel and the jail. There is news from France, the governor said. Brought from Gaspé. We meet in council at the chateau in an hour. A guard is without to take Captain Moray to the common jail. In a moment more, after a courteous good-bye from Doltaire, and a remark from the governor to the effect that I had spoiled his night's sleep to no purpose, I was soon on my way to the common jail, where, arriving, what was my pleased surprise to see Gabo? He had been told off to be my especial guard, his services at the citadel having been deemed so efficient. He was outwardly surly, as rough as he was ever before the world, and without speaking a word to me, he had a soldier lock me in a cell. End of chapter 12